So it's Luke chapter 8. If you have our app, that's already queued up and ready for you to go. Um, Or you can use the, uh, I don't know, the Steam Engine Bible that's in the pew in front of you. Uh, It's in there as well. Um, (laughs) We're just throwing all the mediums at you. Or you can just listen uh, as I read it. So are you ready? Alexa, Luke chapter 8. So yeah, there we go. I'm kidding, we don't have Alexa here. We worked that out ahead of time. See, you gotta come in the summer to see all these great. Um, so I also need a haircut, so forgive me for doing this. Okay, we're starting with verse 26. Try to follow along. This is a very interesting, uh, interesting story. I'll read it, then we'll pray, and then we'll get into this. Uh, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on the land, There met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And then Luke puts some parentheses here, which didn't exist in ancient Greek, but thank God for translators. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to to depart into the abyss. abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. That's really my favorite part of the story. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Great ending of the story there. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes had asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man for whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and this story that uh, we're gonna enter into and it's strange and it's weird and dark and twisted. So help us to see Uh, what it is that you want us to see. Uh, And it's in your name that we pray, and everyone said, amen. So the question that we are asking at the top of this is simply, um, what is going on in this story? What is happening in this scene, other than what appears to be something like Jesus and his disciples pulled up to maybe the front section of a Slayer show? That's what it feels like. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, (laughs) The back row, got that. But um, it's a very, very weird and interesting and engaging story. And we just have to ask, what is it that is going on uh, in the story? So a couple of things just from the top. We'll do some 
background and setting so we kind of know what we're looking at. I think one of the ways to get into this story is to know what the Gospel of Luke is about. Each Gospel writer, there are four, they all have their agendas in terms of what they want us to hear to see about Jesus. And Luke's uh, agenda is really hospitality. It's a strange agenda, isn't it? That he wants us to see that Jesus is the example of the hospitality of God, that God welcomes all people. Luke's gospel is the only gospel where Jesus is called the friend of sinners. I mean, this is the kind of picture that Luke wants us to see when we're looking at Jesus, that Jesus is the hospitality of God in the flesh and that all people can come to him. You can see this in just how the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus in Luke's gospel unfold. You might know the Christmas story. They go to Bethlehem. There's no what? There's no room in the inn. Whatever the inn is, there's no room there. And so Jesus is born into the world simply through the act of hospitality of a family in Bethlehem that said, you can use our space to come into the world. And Luke wants us to see that story from the beginning and say, will we too allow Jesus room in our lives? I mean, that's clearly throughout. But Jesus is born into the world through an act of hospitality. And when he dies, when he dies on the cross, most people who were crucified in the uh, first, second, third centuries, and before that, of course, were not buried properly. They were just dumped into the trash heap because that's where criminals went to die. But a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, somehow got to Pilate and said, I'll take the body and gave Jesus a proper burial in his own personal tomb, in his own garden. So Jesus is born into the world through an act of hospitality, and he leaves the world through an act of hospitality. You can see it. This is what Luke looks like. If we go in closer, Luke, the Gospel of Luke is strung together with all these meals stories, eight or nine different meals where Jesus is having dinner or lunch or breakfast or whatever with people. And each story, by the way, they're not just... Let's show another time where Jesus eats. They're all controversial meals where Jesus has got the wrong people at the table or he's in the house of the wrong kind of person. And so Luke wants us to see that. The hospitality of Jesus is problematic. He's, his behavior with certain people is causing problems uh, with many. And so Jesus is crossing lines and borders and language barriers and ethnicities and religious uh, settings to meet and to be with these people, and Luke wants us to see that. And then when we get into this section of the gospel, uh, Luke does this thing where he has Jesus and the disciples going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth from the Galilee, to, uh, which is a highly Jewish area, to less Jewish areas, uh, Hellenistic areas, Greek areas, and so on. And this is the first story in Luke's gospel where Jesus and his disciples make their way into a heavily Hellenistic, Gentile community. And the first indicator of what's going on is that Luke says, I mean, history lesson's over. We're getting to the sermon now, so you made it. Uh, Luke describes this as they make it to the country of the Gerasenes, and, and the descriptor is opposite Galilee. Now, that's not just geographical. Galilee is on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a highly Jewish community. It's where Jesus is from. It's where his disciples are from. It's where all the major branches of Judaism are. doesn't mean it's entirely Jewish. There's obviously other parts. They've intermingled with other people from other parts of the, of the known world. It's not that, but it's just that's where you go. That's where they all are. This is where the Orthodox 
Jewish area one of them is. And so it's opposite that. So now we're on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They've sailed across. So, but it's not just geographic. They've made their way into the country of the Gerasenes, this highly um, Hellenistic, primarily Gentile area. It's Roman. It's enemy territory for these disciples. And these little field trips that Jesus takes his disciples on time after time after time is his way of, I mean, he's the world's first and best youth pastor. He's taking them on these little church bus trips. And they, they go into these places that they haven't been before, and he allows them to see uh, not just what they're like, but how they should interact uh, with these people. And so they make their way to this place opposite Galilee, not just geographically, but socially as well and religiously. And what's so weird is they pull up, and this man meets them on the lake, uh, the lakefront. And it's not in a town, but it's outside the town. And it's where they bury people. And there's this man with chains. It's scary. You've got to think at least a couple of disciples just waited in the boat. (laughs) Go ahead, we'll watch the boat. But Jesus makes his way into this man's present circumstance, and the story begins to unfold, and it's really frightening. Whatever it is that they walked into, it's twisted and scary. Words like possession and demons and chains and tombs. The question is, the primary question Luke wants us to ask is, why is this man here? Why is this man in a graveyard with no clothes, chained to a tomb? Why is he there? Well, he's there because he's clearly strange. And he's outside of the healthcare system of that day. They don't know what to do with him. Apparently, he's been violent. And so the powers that be are simply like, you know what? Put him out with the already dead and wait for him to die. And there's guards there watching him. It's terrible. And Jesus and his disciples interact with this person who is, and this is what I want you to hear this morning, is that this man, whoever he is, we don't even know his name, has been discarded, left out to die. I love it when Jesus asks him, what is your name? And you know what he says, right? Legion. This is when two other disciples go, that's it. We're going to the boat, Legion. Come on. (laughs) What does that mean? Legion. It's not literal. He's not 5,600 soldiers in a Roman garrison. Legion. It's a man who's, he's mad. And apparently, they thought he would die, but he's not dying. He's breaking the chains, and he remains possessed of something. His answer is quite brilliant. What is your name? I have no idea, Jesus. It's a million different things. You ever been there? What's your name? I don't know. I don't know anymore. A million people are telling me who I am. And this is what they've done with me. 
I don't know what my name is. It's just a bundle of confusion that this man is dealing with. But he's been discarded, left to die. Jesus wants to take his disciples there to meet this man. And um, I went to high school in the 80s, and the 80s were amazing. <laughs> Not really, um, but yes. But one of the most frightening realities of the 1980s that, that was really coming in to culture was the AIDS epidemic. And I often tell people when this subject comes up, it is unbelievable to me how far we've come. I mean, you can, you can live a life now, and praise God for that. But when we were 12 and 13 and 14, you were terrified of that because nobody knew anything. I mean, they kind of knew a little, but we're... We're humans. We need to know that you know everything about something that could kill you. But we just knew enough, and it was very difficult to navigate if you met someone who was suffering from that disease. And at that time, in the early 80s, it was like you didn't know anybody, but you were definitely afraid that you would meet somebody, that you would see somebody. All the pictures in the magazines and on the news, the people looked, it was scary. It was a scary sight to see these people lose their life to such a disease, and everybody was afraid of it, everybody. And um, that's the way it was. And then in 1984, uh, and I remember this so vividly, in 1984, a kid by the name of Ryan White, two years older than me, made the news because he had contracted the disease. He was a hemophiliac since birth. He had been getting blood transfusions since he was just days old. Uh, and, you know, the clock was ticking, and then he got it. And he got sick, and they took him to the hospital, and they basically came back and said, he has AIDS. That's a death sentence. There's no getting out of that. That's the way it was. And he's my age. And everybody my age was glued to this story, you know? There were no Twitter feeds or internets. Uh, but you found every article, every news show, and you're just reading. And the ones that were so touching to me were the ones uh, where people would interview him, a kid my age. How do you feel? What are your biggest fears? What's it like to live with this disease? He lived in Kokomo, Indiana, so not like you know, the most progressive city in the world. And you, if you don't remember, uh, if you weren't alive then, if you had AIDS in the 80s, then it was just assumed you were a gay man. That's the way, that's what it was. Never mind that he got it through something else. Everyone just assumed he's gay, he's contagious, he can't be with us anymore. And the story that broke my heart was reading about how he just wanted to go to school. But the school said, you can't come. I mean, here's a kid on his way to his grave. He just wants to be with his friends. The concession they made was, well, you can listen to class on a phone in your living room. Ooh. Take this man out to the cemetery and chain him to a tomb, but we'll come visit him and throw food at him. It's heartbreaking. 
Now, he didn't die until, I think, 89 or 90. But those years of just reading the stories and trying to feel what it must have been like, I don't think it was the disease that scared us. I think it was that, that we would be left alone. That they would say to us as a society, you can't be with us anymore. The modern day leprosy. You're just going to have to go and live by yourself and die by yourself. It's heartbreaking. And I think Jesus takes this field trip with his disciples into this place to teach them that this is not how we treat other people. Here's a man, completely out of his mind, possessed of something. He's gone mad. He doesn't even know his name anymore. He's been discarded, and he's waiting to die. And Jesus takes his disciples to be with him. And before I close, I just want to say a couple things. Number one, I love that Jesus asks the man his name. That, doesn't your name mean everything? I mean, to know someone's name means so much. I'm really bad with names. We need name tags here uh, because there are some of you, it's too late for me to ask you what your name is. <laughs> really bad. So, that's why I have my kids here. Go introduce yourself loudly so I can... Give it. Hey, John. <laughs> but when someone knows your name, it just says so much. And uh, here's Jesus asking this man, tell me your name. Let's start with who you are. And of course, the answer is I don't know who I am anymore. And I think the lesson for us here is, um, is that, say this as clearly as I can, using this scene in the life of Jesus, this man who had been sent away to die among the already dead, Jesus approaches him, asks him his name, restores his being to him. This is why the people are quite afraid. It's very scary and awe-inspiring to see something like this take place. And from Jews, I mean, the story is ready-made for anti-Jew, like, we're, we're in a Gentile area, we're in a cemetery, there's dead people, there's a naked man, maybe bleeding, we've got pigs over here, it's again, more and more disciples are saying, I'll wait in the boat. And yet Jesus comes into this setting and renews this man's life, his dignity, his name is returned. And the lesson for me and for you this morning is that with Jesus, this is what Luke wants us to see, not just in this story, but all throughout his gospel, that with Jesus, you are never, ever done for. Amen? Period. Now, we live in a world where you're done for. That's just the way humans are. That's not about 2019. That's just humanity. I mean, this story is proof in that. If you don't meet our standards, if you aren't able to live with us, if you aren't able to contribute, if you aren't able to agree with us, if you aren't able to be liked or loved by us, then you're done for. We don't like you. We've written you off. Go die alone. That's the world we live in. 
We think it's not, but it is. We all harbor in us, each of us individually, we all harbor judgment and anger and hatred. None of us are that evolved or that woke. It's false. We all struggle with it. And the message time after time with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is that no one is ever done for. No one. Not prostitutes, not tax collectors, not demon-possessed naked men chained to tombs. No one is done for. Not even the thief on the cross as Jesus is dying. He's not done for. No one is done for. And so it must be with us, with the church, our challenge, our calling in the stories that we see the world as full of people who are never done for. Amen? That's the difficulty of being a Christian. The easy side of humanity is to write people off. The difficult side of following Christ is to remind ourselves that no one is done for. No one. There's always grace. There's always forgiveness. There's always a name to be returned to the person. And we must, as a community, remember that. That's why we take communion every week. Reminds us that we're not done for, thank God. That the grace and the mercy of Christ is always available to us. And as we leave this building, we leave as representations and voices for that in our places of work, in our homes, our neighborhoods. And I don't know if you've uh, been there. I'm pretty sure you have, but just feeling like you've been written off from a job, from a relationship, from um, friendships, family. The message for you today is you're never done for. And Christ wants you to see that, not just in the way he lived, but in the community of this place. But no matter who's written you off in life, and maybe you're writing yourself off, you are reminded week after week that you're never done for. Amen?